0: Our text today will be Malachi chapter 1, verses 6 through 14. Malachi began his book by addressing the people as a whole. We saw that last week in the first five verses, where God declared his love for his people. His address to the people included the priests who were ministering in the temple. In verse 6... Malachi is specifically addressing the priest, but this address to the priest did not exclude the people as a whole, for the priesthood represented the people before God. Malachi chapter 1, verses 6 through 14. A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If then I am the father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my reverence or my fear? Says the Lord of hosts. To you priests who despise my name, yet you say, In what way have we despised your name? You offer defiled food on my altar, but say, in what way have we defiled you? By saying, the table of the Lord is contemptible. And when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Or if then you offer it then to your governor, would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts? But now entreat God's favor, that he may be gracious to us while this is being done by your hands. Will he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts? Who is there even among you who would shut the doors so that you would not kindle fire on my altar in vain? I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts nor will I accept an offering from your hands. For from the rising of the sun, even to its going down, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. In every place, incense shall be offered to my name, and a pure offering. For my name shall be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it, And that you say, the table of the Lord is defiled, and its fruit, its food, is contemptible. You also say, oh, what a weariness. And you sneer at it, says the Lord of hosts. And you bring the stolen, the lame, and the sick. Thus you bring an offering. Should I accept this from your hand, says the Lord? But cursed be the deceiver. Who has in his flock a male and takes a vow, but sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished? For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name is to be feared among the nations. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would, by your Holy Spirit, illuminate your word. To us today. Let this word. Let your gospel. Renew our mind. Even as it washes us. With the water of the word. To transform us. And to conform us. More closely. To the very image. Of Christ Jesus. Father we ask that you would do this. in us your people this, your church, so that your name would be glorified, so that we would be a witness to you. Father, we ask this for your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. Notice that Malachi deals firmly with the sin of the priests, and so with the sin of all the people. Imagine imagine Malachi or Elijah or John the Baptist writing a book titled Your Best Life Yet or The Purpose Driven Life. You cannot imagine that because they would not write those books. Now, I'm not saying no one should write books like that. I'm saying what we, pre- what we preach from the pulpit of the church matters. Writing a book is one thing, but the message that is given from the pulpits of God's house in His church, not just here, but everywhere, it matters. And it should deal straight. Forward and honestly with the sin of the church. My responsibility before God is to equip you for the work of ministry. And you cannot be properly equipped for the work of ministry if your sin, my sin, is just ignored or we pretend like it doesn't exist. Or we just say, well, that's the Holy Spirit's responsibility. I don't deal with that. No, it's actually the man of God's responsibility. In Israel, it was the priest's responsibility. And they were responsible to God as representatives of the people of the nation. Some pastors seek to comfort people in their sin rather than discomfort people from their sin. We need men of God who pointedly proclaim the truth of God's word and believe it actually has the power to save them and deliver them. God's prophets must prophesy God's word. I'm not talking about predicting the future. I'm talking about declaring God's word. That's what a prophet does. This is the word of God given to us. You are called a royal priesthood. You are called ministers. You're being equipped for the work of ministry. This is the word you are to prophesy. This is the only word you are to prophesy. There is no other word. This is relevant for us today. We must understand that God deals with his church in the same way that he dealt with the nation, Israel. He calls out and he calls her out of her sin at the corporate level down to the heart of the matter for each and every one of us. This is how God deals with his church. Our worship is personal, individual, yes, but it is corporate. And the expression we see throughout the word of God is the corporate worship of God's people, What is addressed by God's prophet is the corporate condition of God's people. That touches the most personal parts of your life and my life and all the sin in it. The church is God's priesthood in the earth today through which he ministers to all people, all nations. As, go, as goes the church, as the church goes, so goes the culture, so goes the nation. Thus judgment begins at the house of God, as the Apostle Peter wrote, First Peter 4:17. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of Christ? Well, I can promise you it will not be a good end. God addresses the priest with their polluted offerings. This is what we see beginning in Malachi chapter 1, verse 6. God is father. Remember, God says a son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am the father, where is my honor? If I am a master, where is my honor? Reverence, says the Lord of hosts, to you priests who despise my name, yet you say, in what way have we despised your name? God is Father by creation, by election, by preservation, and by his guardianship over our lives and the lives of all of his people. In this verse, God is not commanding that his priests honor him. This is not a command by God. This is God reminding his priests, therefore his people, that the honor and reverence due his name is as natural as that given by a son to his father or a servant to his master. It is simply the way it is meant to be, as was then we see today that we have drifted far from the natural order of things. God, in speaking directly to the priest who despised his name, asked them, where is his honor as a father and his fear as a master? Their response to God was already indicated, not by their words, but by their actions. In their implied question posed to God, they asked, in what way have we despised your name? This response indicated a rebellious Disregard for their sin and for God. The same type of sinful and rebellious disregard we see in much of the church today. The church is God's royal priesthood in the earth today. We should ask ourselves the same question In what ways have we despised God's name and refused to honor and revere Him today? Well, I submit to you that we have done so in the very same ways that the priests did in Malachi's day. We do not present animals in sacrifice to God. Now, in Christ, we present ourselves as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, Romans 12.1. We are called to continually offer up the sacrifice of praise, which is the fruit of our lips, giving Thanks to his name, Hebrews 13, 15. Each and every one of us is personally as well as corporately responsible for the worship we present to God. We are to uphold the standard that God upholds in his word so that we are not despising his name and making his table a contempt. Malachi 1, 7. You offer defiled food on my altar, but say, In what way have we defiled you? By saying, The table of the Lord is contemptible. Verse 7 is not an answer to the question posed in verse 6. It does answer it, but God is not simply giving the answer to a question. He is naming the sin of the priests because they had more regard for themselves than for God's name. They had no qualms about offering polluted food on God's altar. God points out that defiled food is being offered on his altar. And we hear the implied question for God from his priest: In what way have we defiled you? God's response to the priest is this. By saying the table of the Lord is contemptible. Now, they did not say the Lord's table is contemptible with their words, but with their actions. Through the act of offering defiled food on God's altar, they were in practice saying the table of the Lord is contemptible. By our actions and by our words, we can be guilty of the very same sin today. Verse 8, and when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it then to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts? Verse 8 indicates how the priest despised God's name and defiled him and made his table contemptible. They did so when they offered the blind... The lame and the sick in sacrifice to God. God calls this evil. In asking, is it not evil? God is not asking a question to which he actually expects an answer. God is pointing out the bitter irony of what they were doing. When you offer the blind, the lame, and the sick as a sacrifice to God, a sacrifice that's intended to be good... In reality, it is evil. And you defile the Lord and you defile his table by offering such polluted food. That is what the prophet is pointing out by this question. Is it not evil? Well, of course it is evil. They were offering blemished and defective animals to God. These animals were not even fit to be offered to the man who was their governor, God points out. He said, you wouldn't do this, you wouldn't give this to your governor. And we very often do the same. We regard men more highly than we regard God. And we make sure that depending on the man, we want to give him the very best. But yet, too much of the time, God gets our leftovers, our blemished and our polluted offerings. These animals were unfit to offer to a man, why would the priests think it acceptable to offer them to God? They knew their sacrifices were unacceptable. This is why God accuses them of holding his table in contempt. The priests were sacrificing animals unfit to be offered to a man much less to God himself. In his law word, God clearly indicates what is not to be offered on the altar leviticus 22:20 20. whatever has a defect you shall not offer for it shall not be acceptable on your behalf those blind and lame and sick animals were not acceptable to the lord therefore the lord was not pleased with them he would not accept them favorably malachi Chapter 1, verse 9. But now entreat God's favor, that he may be gracious to us while this is being done by your hands. Will he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts? Here the prophet is using sarcasm as he encourages the priest to entreat God's favor on behalf of all the people as they offer polluted animals in sacrifice upon God's altar. Sarcasm is not unbiblical. The Bible is actually full of it. God's prophets use it effectively. The prophet sarcastically asked, will he accept you favorably? Of course, the answer is no. He will not accept you favorably as you defile his name and his altar. To do so would be a violation of God's own word and his very holy nature and character. He could not accept such sacrifices. This is why the only way that we are acceptable to God is in Jesus Christ. Because in ourselves, we are like those blind, lame, sick, polluted sacrifices that, that the priests were offering to God upon the altar. But in Jesus Christ, God doesn't see our lameness, our pollution, and our sickness or our blindness, he has now made us holy, even as he is holy in his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He has counted us righteous by the blood of Christ, by the blood of his Son that takes away our sin. In and of ourselves, we are unacceptable, but in Christ, we are brought into the very presence of the Father. That is the grace of God. That is the good news of the gospel. We don't have to try to work hard to become acceptable to God. We cannot make ourselves acceptable. We have been made accepted in the beloved by God himself, by his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Consider what many in the church offer up today in worship to the Lord proclaiming it to be holy and acceptable to the Lord, when in fact it is polluted and defiled. Think of all that God calls evil that man now calls good. Think of all that man now calls evil that God calls good. Remember, we are not offering up animals to God. Now we present ourselves to God as living sacrifices. This is now our reasonable act of worship. Who is the man who will stand up for truth? This is what Malachi basically asks in verse 10. Who is there even among you who would shut the doors so that you would not kindle fire on my altar in vain? I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, nor will I accept an offering from your hands. God asks, who is there even among you? In other words... Who is there among you who will shut the door to sin and corruption? The indication is that there is no one who will shut the doors so that fire is not kindled on his altar in vain. It was the duty of the priest to stand at the door to prevent the offering of defiled and blemished sacrifices to God. The doorkeepers, the porters, did not keep their watch over God's house... And God's altar to prevent it and to prevent God's name from being defiled and becoming contemptible through the offering of polluted food, this neglect became the sinful practice of the priest. This is the sin that Malachi is calling out. And because there is no, because there is no one who will keep watch over the doors, God has no pleasure in the priest. Nor will he accept an offering from their hands. Remember, they represent the nation. So the sin of the priesthood impacts all the people. Today, as then, the sin of the church. Who is the church? It is God's royal priesthood in the earth. The sin of the church impacts all the people. It is clear The sin and compromise of the church has impacted our nation and our culture in a most negative way. You might say, well, how is that, pastor? Well, I would point you to 60 million human beings murdered since 1973 and still counting. We have no concept of the impact that has had. That's the judgment of God. I also want to point out that what culminated in the legalization of abortion did not begin in 1972. In fact, it began many decades prior. Here's another example. What culminated on June 26, 2015 with the the Obergefell decision did not begin in 2014. It began many decades prior with seemingly insignificant compromises by God's people, by the church. Those are just two major examples and there are very many others, some major but most seemingly insignificant compromises slowly eroding and chipping away at our foundation and those Things that are slowly eroding and chipping away at our foundation didn't begin at the Supreme Court. Guess where they began? They began in your heart and my heart. They began in our families. They began in our churches. They began in the institutions of our culture that are run by individuals who have personal beliefs and personal opinions. And instead of honoring God's word they regarded more highly their own beliefs, their own opinions, and their own sinful desires. And the church went right along to please man and allowed compromise to take place, and it is still happening today. If the church does not humble herself and repent, if not already, one day we will wake up. And God will no longer accept the corporate offerings of our hands. As Paul wrote in in Romans 12, 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. It is time for the church to once again stand against the evil of our day. God in Malachi chapter 1, verse 11, declares that his name shall be great among the nations. Verse 11, for from the rising of the sun, even to its going down, my name shall be great among the Gentiles, In every place incense shall be offered to my name, and a pure offering for my name shall be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. Verse 11 is, a, is prophetic as it looks ahead to a time when the name of the Lord shall be great among the Gentiles. It was not the case in Malachi's day, but Malachi was proclaiming, prophesying what would take place and transpire one day. That time is now and has been for the last 2,000 years and counting. This is, the re- this is reminiscent of the words of Jesus to the woman at the well recorded for us in the gospel according to John. We see the affirmation and the beginning of fulfillment of Malachi's words with Jesus and the woman at the well. John 4, 21 through 24. Jesus said to her, Woman, must worship in spirit and truth. The good news is this now in Christ, we worship God in spirit and truth. That worship of God is from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same among all the nations. The Lord's name is great among the nations today. In every place, the incense of prayer is offered and a pure offering to God in Jesus Christ, in His truth, and in His holiness, is offered to the Lord. Verses 12 and 13. But you profane it. The Gentiles will honor my name, will extol my name. But God reminds His people again through the prophet, but you profane it, and that you say... The table of the Lord is defiled and its fruit, its food is contemptible. You also say, oh, what a weariness as you sneer at it, says the Lord. And you bring the stolen, the lame and the sick. Thus you bring an offering. Should I accept this from your hand, says the Lord? Here the prophet contrasts the greatness of God's name that will one day be among the Gentiles with the profaning of it in his own day among his own people. Malachi reemphasizes the polluted offerings and the contempt that was shown for God's name and for his altar. The prophet reminds the priests and the people again that the polluted offerings that are brought will not be accepted by God from their hands. Our worship matters. God pays attention to our worship corporately. God pays attention to our worship individually, personally. God knows. Our enemy knows. And so must we know that our worship is warfare and that it is powerful. More powerful than we realize. Never underestimate the power of worship. Never underestimate the power of our worship, of your worship. Israel did, and it cost them greatly as a people and a nation. Do not think that we can make God's name and His table defiled and contemptible with our acceptance and promotion of sin in His church and not suffer the consequences We are suffering those consequences now. Will that continue? Or will the church humble herself and repent. And experience the reformation we so desperately need? Well the answer to that question is yet to be seen. And each and every day. Is a determining factor. Of how that question will be answered. And whether we will indeed experience a reformation sooner or later it will come sooner or later but the question is will it come in our day in our lifetime or is it yet generations away because the church failed to humble herself before god and seek his face in the last verse here of our text god warns of a curse malachi chapter 1 verse 14 but cursed be the deceiver Who has in his flock a male and takes a vow, but sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name is to be feared among the nations. If Israel, if God's own people did not fear his name, why would the nations fear his name? They did not then, but they do today. And that is by God's grace. We cannot fool God. There is nothing we can hide from God. He already knows. He already sees. And He knew and He saw long before we even thought a thing. Before we had a thought. Before we were a thought. When He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, He already knew everything concerning us. His sovereign providence should be the most comforting thing in our life. For with it comes His perfect and complete love for His people. You did not love God first. He first loved you. You did not choose God. God chose you. That should be a comfort to you. It's meant to be. Cursed be the deceiver who knowingly offers to God what is not acceptable when he knows what God requires. The same is true when we offer ourselves and do so unrepentant of our sin that we so proudly practice, thinking God does not care. This is more prevalent in the church than you realize. Even if it's not prevalent in Christ's fellowship church, we're part of the greater church. And as pure as we can make our worship here in our little congregation, we still have a responsibility for the greater church because we're part of the greater church. We have a responsibility to speak the truth, to stand for the truth, and to not compromise and to not fear man to the point that we, at the very least, remain silent if we will not speak the truth in love. When we present ourselves as living sacrifices to God, when we are offering up the sacrifice of praise as we proudly practice our ungodly lifestyles in unrepentant sin and rebellion before God, we defile the name of God. When we practice sin without repentance, calling good evil and evil good, we defile His table and we hold His name in contempt. When the church passively allows or proudly approves, or simply remains silent in the face of such sin and such rebellion, we are guilty of the same sin as the priest in Malachi's day, if not worse. Such sin causes his table to be defiled and his name to be despised. This sin is all too rampant in the church today and the bitter fruit of it is on full display. Let me give you two recent examples that made headlines in the news. The Methodist Church in England has issued an inclusive language guide to be used, to be put into effect in their churches by their parishioners. For example, terms such as husband and wife should no longer be used as they are now considered offensive and hurtful for some and are to be avoided. Our or... Brothers and sisters is now considered unacceptable on the grounds that these terms do not take into consideration our non-binary friends. When addressing a group, the pronouns he or she are considered too exclusive. You should use they instead. Sadly, this is not unique in the Methodist church in England. This has become common practice in our own schools and universities as well as the corporate world. It is also not uncommon any longer in more and more of the church. Here's another example. The second recent example comes from Pope Francis in the Roman Catholic Church. I want to quote directly from the declaration itself issued December 18, 2023, titled Fiducia Supplicans, on the pastoral meaning of blessings. And I quote, The value of this document, however is that it offers a specific and innovative contribution to the pastoral meaning of blessings, permitting a broadening and enrichment of the classical understanding of blessings, which is closely linked to a liturgical perspective. Such theological reflection based on the pastoral vision of Pope Francis implies a real development from what has been said about blessings in the magisterium and the official texts of the church. This explains why this text has taken on the typology of a declaration. It is precisely in this context that one can understand the possibility of blessing couples in irregular situations and same-sex couples without officially validating their status or changing in any way the church's perennial teaching on marriage. Within the horizon outlined, here appears the possibility of blessings for couples in irregular situations and for couples in the same, of the same sex, the form, which, the form of which should not be fixed ritually by ecclesial authorities to avoid producing confusion with the blessing proper to the sacrament of marriage these forms of blessing express a supplication that God may grant those aids that come from the impulses of his spirit, what classical theology calls actual grace, so that human relationships may mature and grow in fidelity to the gospel, that they may be freed from their imperfections and frailties, and that they may express themselves in the ever-increasing dimensions of divine love." Close quote. The Vatican and Catholic apologists are very quick to claim that this declaration does not indicate in any way a major shift, a major doctrinal shift in the church. Many and many Catholics would argue with that. But at the very least, the camel's nose, if not much more, is well inside the tent right now. And this is exactly how every other major denomination has slid down the slippery slope of compromise into the woke abyss. Incremental compromise with leveraged sin is much easier to swallow than the whole elephant all at once. This is the current state of the greater church, and it calls for faithful men and faithful women to uphold the truth of Scripture in the face of those inside and those outside the church who are hell-bent on destroying it, even if they claim they only want to reshape it. It's all too clear it is time for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ to find her spine and stand up straight and stop honoring and fearing man more than they honor and fear their God, their Father, and their Lord. We need a reformation and it will not come until the church seeks that reformation as she seeks the face of God. May we seek first His kingdom and His righteousness... May we work and pray to see His kingdom come, His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us prepare to come to the Lord's table. Please stand for your charge. Church. Pray that God gives you a revelation of the weight and the importance of your worship, that is warfare. Pray God shows you the power of the warfare waged when the church assembles together in spirit and truth in Christ's name, filled with the spirit and the power of God. Pray that God give you courage to stand watch over the doors he has made you watchmen over, the doors to your own heart and to your own mind, the doors to your household and your family, the doors to the church, and the doors to whatever else God has entrusted to you. After you have prayed, then go and do. Go to and go do His kingdom work. Wherever you are and in whatever you find yourself doing, do it as unto the Lord. Never underestimate where or what God might have you doing. Trust and obey, trust and obey him in his sovereign grace and providence as he guides your steps to his appointed time and place. Go rejoicing as you go in unceasing prayer. Trust him every step of the way even when the way grows dark and difficult. Know that past every valley there is a mountain. From those mountains, may God give you eyes to see the generations coming after us as we prepare the way for them to walk beyond the places and the heights we may achieve even to a thousand generations. Amen. Yeah. Let us sing our thanks to God. Praise God. From To him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. The Lord be with you. you.